Hey, oh. Man, how many are glad they came out on a Friday night to the house? Come on. You know, there's one thing that is very evident when I come here is that I, I find that people in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, get a little excited about Jesus. That was pretty weak. They get a little excited about Jesus. Come on. You know, you, you watch all these football games, and you know, I, I'm an Oregon Duck fan, I'm sorry, but you know, you, you go to these games, and there's people that stand there for three hours just going, Aah! I mean, just screaming and yelling and losing their voice, or not that I've ever been to one, but you watch these rave parties where people are just like dancing to backward masking lawnmower music, and I mean, it's just, and you see people that get real excited about stupid stuff. And man, I just love coming to this place because of how excited you are about what really matters. And I hear an amen. And you know, to be honest with you, if, if I lived in Coeur d'Alene, and this is just a little plug for the, those of you that might be new here, if I lived in Coeur d'Alene, this would be my house. This, th this is the absolute most killer church in all of this whole area. I'm glad you're part of it. And uh, I want to thank you for coming out tonight. You know, um, tonight begins a very special weekend for, for a lot of you here. And I know that there's a lot of new people here today. And I want to let you know that you're not here by accident. And I really feel that tonight... Um, God brought you here by divine design and that he has something very specific for you. You thought you were actually invited by a friend or you got some little dumb square card that said, come out tonight. <laughs> Listen, you're here because God wants to speak to you. And I'm going to ask for every single one of you that are here tonight, just for a few minutes to open up your heart there's any kind of resistance, question, challenge that you have, just put it aside and allow me to talk to you about this idea of choices. You've been in a series called All In, and I want to talk to you about All In Choices. And every single person in this room, there's, there's one thing that we would have in common, and that is that when we're, we're younger... We all have this quest for truth. We still have it today, but from the youngest age, we begin to ask questions. How many got kids that are like two years old, three years old? Mommy, mommy, what's this? Daddy, daddy, what's that? What's this? What's that? What's this? What's that? What's that? There's this, there's this thing intrinsic to our nature that causes us to want to find truth. We want to find answers. We're, we're inquisitive because there are these these blank spots, these voids in our life. And when we, when we don't have the truth, it causes some kind of unsettledness inside of us. And when I think about it, and I look at young children, and I think about some of the crazy questions they ask, I, I jotted a couple down just to kind of accentuate the point tonight. There's a little boy, his name was Franklin, a four-year-old, and he asked this question. What does Santa smell like? I mean, have you ever thought about that? I mean, here's in this kid. I mean, he sees Santa. I mean, I know what he smells like. He's got 
bad B.O. I mean, he's been in a, a sleigh for a long time, you know, screaming all over the place. The little kid wanted to know, what does Santa smell like? Really? How about this one? Morgan, a six-year-old, she wanted to know, are there dinosaurs in heaven? It's an interesting thought. I mean, that, that's inquisitive. It's kind of like, that's deep. It's like, did anybody ever think of whether dinosaurs were going to be there? How about this one? Beth Ann, was everything in black and white in the olden days? I love that. Watch these old movies and go, wow, it looks pretty boring. I mean, just thank God for technical. I was born in color, you know, right? How about Bethany? She wanted to know, how do I know? This, this, is, this is very interesting. How do I know that I'm a real person and I'm not fake like my doll? I mean, think about that for a second. Who, who told that little three-year-old to ask that question? What is it that's in us that causes us to ask these very deep questions about us and about life? I like best little Eric asked his mom, how'd that baby get in your stomach? <laughs> she skirted the issue and little Eric asked the question, well, how does it come out? <laughs> See, but here's the point. The, the, the older that we become, the more complex our questions become. Because all of a sudden you begin to have a little bit more context of the complexity of life. And we begin to think about, where am I going? You know, how did I get here? What is this thing called life? What is it really all about? I mean, when you look at the billions of people and you look at the stars in the universe and you look at the complexity of our body and how it works and you begin to take a look at the stuff and the more intellect you have, the more questions you have because you realize just how deep and wide life really is. And the reason we ask questions because we have a quest or a longing for truth. Every time that you ask any question about anything that you do not know, you're asking it simply because you want to find the answer to something that is unsettled inside of you. And tonight I want to tackle one question. I, I believe it's perhaps one of the most important questions that any person could ever ask. What really happens to me when I die? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter which culture you've been brought up. It doesn't matter what century you have been born into. It's the one question that every single person that has ever sucked air on planet Earth has asked themselves. What really happens to me when I die? And when we look at that question, what makes it difficult, and one of the most difficult questions to answer is because there's really no natural evidence that says anything about afterlife. 
Although the majority of people today, 96% of people on planet Earth today, actually believe that there's some afterlife, but there's no evidence to prove it. It's not like someone went to heaven and brought back some ruby off of a wall or brought back some gold off of some street. We hear stories of people seeing a light or maybe they saw Jesus and he said, go back. Those are all testimonial and subjective at best, but there's no natural evidence. So it makes this question quite complex. What makes it even more complex is some of the possibilities that people talk about that make it uncomfortable to even dialogue about. When we begin to invoke an idea like annihilation, when you die, you're scorched. Or how about this? One of the most unpopular, hell. A place of torment, a place of fire and brimstone. So you begin to suggest some options that become very uncomfortable. So isn't it just easier to just forget about it? Isn't it just easy just to do life and to somehow, some way, worry about that when it comes? Won't it just kind of figure itself out? It's kind of a mindset that a lot of us might have. I know one thing for sure is this. Every person in this room, you're going to die. Isn't that exciting? Aren't you encouraged tonight? You're going to die. That's awesome. Thanks, Mark. That's awesome. You're going to die. Some of you, listen to me, some of you might die tomorrow. I hate to say that, but if you do the odds, some of you might die this week. It's obviously not me. It's the guy next to me. Really? And here's what's more important is when you think about this whole idea of everyone will die, what you perceive happens to you when you die determines now how you live. Just stick with me for a second. So if you think that there's really nothing big that happens, you just kind of go about doing life just haphazardly. You just kind of just do life. But if you begin to have a revelation of what actually exists, it'll change the way that you live. And when you think about it, what you begin to see is you begin to dialogue and begin to look into this thing called afterlife, you'll find that most every philosophy, religion, or belief teaches this one thing, is that whatever you believe today when you die, you can't go back and change it. There's not one religion out there that teaches you that kind of second chance, you get to go back, figure it all out, Groundhog Day. I mean, you just kind of come back and redo it all. There's, there's nothing that teaches that. So when you take a look at these, these thoughts, it brings us to this place of saying, we're basing our entire eternal destiny on a set of beliefs. You know what? We better believe that it's true. And when you think about all this, you know, and you think about people, it's, it's, 
it's not something that's just common to us today in America. This, this is something that has transcended and, and has, has been a part of every culture throughout the history of humanity. You go back and you look at the Egyptians and you see the way that they built their big pyramids and you look at the way that they mummified bodies and the different artifacts that they would put by the bodies and the rituals that they would have and the different kinds of things that they would write on the walls that would try to direct their spirits through time to keep them from being attacked by some kind of evil, dark world. I mean, this, you, you see it all over the, the, the pyramids. What about the aboriginal people? They actually build these elevated platforms and put their bodies up on top of it because they want to keep them from the underworld and they want to make sure that the birds and the bugs come and eat all of the body and eat it all so that there's not some kind of spirit down below. They won't even bury the bodies like we do because they think that some evil spirit's going to come and kipe it in the underworld. Who taught them that? How about the, the Heaven's Gates group? Remember back in 1997, that group, 38 people, one of the leaders said, hey, listen, there's going to be a comet coming by, a hail bop, and, and we're going to get ready. We're going to all wear the same shoes. We're going to prepare ourselves, and as soon as the comet goes by, there's going to be a spaceship behind it, and, and, and we're going to get prepared, and as soon as we kill ourselves at the right time, as the comet comes, it's going to take us. We're going to get on the spaceship and go be where? I always wondered who took their Nikes. Just kidding. How about most, most recently when you think about the Heaven is for Real movie? How many ever went and saw the Heaven is for Real movie? How many read the book? Tens of millions of people. What does that tell us? As we look throughout history, is that the quest to find out where I'm going has been around for a long time. And for some of you here tonight, you're still asking that question. And I believe that tonight God's going to help you understand specifically that it's not a question, but that it's an all-in choice. And I want you to see this tonight because, listen, you have the choice to choose what you believe. No one else can do that for you. Your parents can tell you, a preacher can tell you, I can tell you. God gave every single person a thing called free will. And that is you can say, I like it or I don't. I believe it or I don't. And you'll find when it comes to the issue of eternity, it's not a half-in choice, it's an all-in choice. It's not like, well, I kind of guess or I kind of believe. Something will definitely happen to you when you die. And you have a choice to believe what that is. And so when you look at the afterlife, and again, I mentioned that 96% of all of humanity, when you look throughout the ages, 96% of all people actually believe that there's some form of afterlife. And there's hundreds of different varieties and philosophies and beliefs when it comes to these areas. But really, if you were to take all of the 10,000 plus religions, Christian cults and everything else, and you occults, you put them all into a pile, you really could boil down your options into four specific categories. And I want to talk about those. 
The first one is this, and it's, it's the whole idea of ceasing to exist, that you cease to exist. And that is, you believe that once you die, you're dead. There's no afterlife. 4% of the world today actually believes that. Only 4%. And there are certain groups out there, again, like Jehovah's Witness, that actually believe if you're not part of the 144,000 or now this new group that will be a part, that if you don't believe in what they believe, you're just annihilated at death. There's no hell. There's no nothing. You, just, you, you cease to exist. Atheists today would be that, like Richard Dawkins and guys like that. The, the second category is is the idea of reincarnation and that you believe that the soul upon death of the body comes back to earth in another body or another form. It can come back as another god or a, a tree or a person or an animal or an insect or a plant. And how you live in this life dictates of what you become in the next life. And if you're good in this life, you actually get to advance to a higher degree in the next life. If you're bad, you get to become like a, a beetle or something, <laughs> right? I think one of the greatest torments of this kind of thinking is you never know in this life what you did in the last life, so how do you even correct it? That's a good question. But, you know, think about this. There's, there's 30% of people today. 30% of people today on the planet, 2.2 billion people, Hindus, uh, Buddhists, Taoism, Jainism, all of these groups, they believe in reincarnation. And you can see it like in a country like India today, 1.25 billion people in India, there's about 400 million of them that are starving in extreme poverty. Do you know that there is enough meat in India to feed the entire 1.25 billion people meat for the next five years? And do you know why they starve? Because the cow might be Uncle Freddy. This, this is true. And again, I'm not trying to mock them. I'm just trying to, to show you the concept and the idea. They won't even honk their car at the cow in the road because it's a disrespect to Cousin Eddie. But there's this group, re reincarnation. But then there's these other two, and I want to talk about them tonight. Heaven. And when you look at this whole idea of heaven, it's a belief that, that God has created this beautiful, glorious, eternal place for a select group of people. He desires that everybody goes through that door. Listen to me closely. The door is available to everybody. The choice is available for everyone. It's not God who sends man to hell, it's man himself, because man chooses the all-in choice to decide which door he might walk through. And so when I think about heaven and you begin to take a look at it, you begin to realize that there is something here that is just amazing. So, there's something that waits on this side of the door.
Listen, 80% of people in America believe that today, that that's the door. Here's, here's the scary part, is they think they're getting there in a way that won't get them there. I'm a good person. I've never hurt anybody. I'm not as bad as Jack the Ripper or Charlie Manson, you know, Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm a pretty good person. But then there's this other option when you think about eternity, and it's, it's hell. And when you think about hell, it's, it's the belief that there's an eternal place of darkness and torment that's put there for those who, listen, who choose to live a life separate from God. And when you think about hell, it's a different place. Right? Here's a goodbye. <laughs> you know, here's the sad part. How, how many of you actually know that song? I could tell you guys are going. <laughs> right? And so here's, here's the tragedy about this option. Society has made it appealing. Society has made it this idea that it's a place where you're going to go party with all your friends. Oh, 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 oh. Right. So we want to sing about a highway to hell or Bruno Mars wants to talk about I've been kicked out of, you know, heaven and, you know, sex to me is like paradise. And we've got all these songs that try to, to put a just a, a dose of Novocaine in your brain to think that actually, if it even exists, it really isn't that bad. But when you take a look at these, these options and you begin to think about it, I, I, I want to look at the Bible today because I believe that it actually speaks of the only two real choices, heaven and hell. And I want to talk about them a little bit tonight. Now, you know, the Bible says this. It says that your soul will live forever. You know, here's a couple of scriptures. 1 John 2.25 says, and this is the promise God has promised us, dot, 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 eternal life. Titus 1.2, God promised us eternal life before time began. He actually created a place for you so that when he created you, he could spend eternity with you. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, We will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God. Amen. And what the Bible says is that you basically have two options. And here's what the Bible teaches. The choice is yours. You can be like this, or you can be like that. You can be like this, you can be like that. You can be like And I want to look at these, and again, I, I just want to dive in. I want to go back again. Here, here's, here's what we're talking about tonight. What really happens to me when I die? Not a question, an all-in choice. 
When you talk about hell, and I just want to, again, there's not a lot of people that talk about hell today. It's, almost, it's, it's kind of this, it's this one idea about the Christian faith that sounds so barbaric. I mean, it's, it's one of these things that, you know, if your God is so loving or if God is so loving and kind, then why would he blank, blank, blank? I want to talk about that a little bit. It's a legitimate concern, but it's put through a naive platform. Hell itself, when you think about hell, it's defined as an actual place where people and fallen angels will dwell for eternity. It's actually mentioned 53 times. If you go to the King James Bible, you'll find that 53 times this idea, this doctrine of hell comes up. So it's not just like this one-off kind of subject. It's a, it's a doctrine. It's a, it's a big deal. It's a belief. It's not hidden. It's pretty clear. God wants you to know that there's, there's a place there that was created for fallen humanity that doesn't get their life right with God. And you look at all the different words that come up, Sheol and Hades and the abyss and Gehana, and it, it uses all of these different terms. It's trying to help you understand the reality of that choice. It's going cross-grain to culture to help you understand that that place held that God created, it's inhabited by devils and demons. It, it, it's a place of fire and brimstone. It's a place of of total darkness, and I want to read to you this story that's taken out of Luke 16, and it's, it's a story told by Jesus about two men who die, one who ends in heaven, the other that ends up in hell, with no hope of escape, and I want you to hear this. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible, Luke 16. It says this, there once was a rich man, expensively dressed in the latest fashions, wasting his days in conspicuous consumption. Sounds like a lot like America today. A poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, had been dumped on his doorstep. All he lived for was to get a meal from scraps off the rich man's table. His best friends were the dogs who came and licked his sores. Then he died, this poor man, and was taken up by angels to heaven to the lap of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried in hell and torment. He looked up and saw Abraham in the distance, Lazarus in his lap, and he called out, Father Abraham, mercy, have mercy. Send, listen to this, send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to cool my tongue. If he's trying to describe the intensity of that place by saying, can he at least touch his finger with one drop to touch my lip one time, my tongue one time? He says, I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham said, child, I hate this word in this story, remember. That in your lifetime, you got the good things, Lazarus, the bad things. It's not like that here. Here he's consoled and you're tormented. Beside in all of these matters, there is a huge chasm set between us that no one can ever go from us to you, even if they wanted to, nor can anyone cross over from you to us. And I read that story and I think about it and I, again, 
Jesus isn't trying to come to, to tell you how he wants to punish you. He's trying to help you understand how much he loves you by what he did to give you another choice. When you go through and you read all the different analogies or all the different adjectives when it comes to what hell is like and an intense pain and agony, incredible crime, continual torment and fear, separation from God, meaning the absence. Imagine living in the absence of love, the absence of grace, the absence of relationship, the absence of everything that harmonizes your life. It's the absence of all those things. And he uses this word here, the word remember, meaning eternal regret. Probably it's not the fire that will torment people the most. It's the reality that they knew the door and they choice and they didn't take it. And for eternity, they will continually say to themselves, if I only would have, if I only would have, if I only would have, if I only would have. And here's the kicker. It's And we don't talk about this a lot in churches today because it's not the quote-unquote status quo thing to do. Jesus talked more about hell than heaven. 46 of those 53 times, Jesus actually talked more about the place where people would go without him than the place that people would go with him. Think about that for a second. He wants people to understand the, the problem, the gap, the challenge. So that you begin to understand the depth and the breadth of his love and his sacrifice and his care for you and what he did for you. He, he gave his best. He gave his all. He did everything for you so that you wouldn't have to go there saying, listen, please, that's what it's like. And when you think about heaven itself, and I want to talk about that for a second, you begin to see that that it's a place that, that God wanted us all to go. And when I think about the whole idea of hell, he, he's trying to help us see this. There are consequences to your choices. He lovingly warns us. You know, I think about Hurricane Katrina which is just a, a while ago, 10, 12, 15 years ago, 2001, I believe it was, 2005, whenever it was. A Category 5 hurricane was going to hit the Gulf Coast, 175-plus mile-an-hour winds. Everybody in the region was told to run. And there were people that heard the news, that understood the consequences, and made the choice to say, I'm going to stay anyways. 230 of them lost their life in that storm. Let me ask you a question. Who do you blame? The hurricane? The weatherman? The FEMA? (laughs) 
You can't blame anyone other than those who understood the consequence and ignored it anyways. So when Jesus comes and says, hey, by the way, there's this place that was created. And the reason why it was created, because we have to go clear back to the whole idea of free will. Without free will, you wouldn't have love. Love is free will, and if, it, if God is love, he has to create a culture. He has to create a system, a belief that there's actually this thing called good, bad, evil, because free will is what's necessary in order to have love. And God being love, he didn't want you to be robotically put in a position to serve him. He wanted you to have a heart to choose him. So who do you blame on that day when you stand before him and he says, there was a bald-headed guy in Coeur d'Alene, pretty good looking, by the way. I think he'll say that. I think he will. A little bit better looking than Pastor J.L. So he'll say And you'll probably say, no, Jesus, you have a glass eye. <laughs> now, just, just, just for a second. Who on that day will you blame? God? God, if you're so loving. Really? So I begin to think about another option. I go, well, I don't like that option. What's this option like? And when I think about heaven, I begin to see this. That it's a literal place created by God as an eternal dwelling place for those who have chosen your choice to surrender your lives to Jesus Christ. He's, he's basically saying, anything that you ever desired, that you ever want, is here. I've created it for you. And when you begin to take a look at the Bible and what it talks about, it's a place of no hunger, a place of no thirst or sorrow, meaning you'll never have a never, an, another need. It's a place where there's nothing, uh, where there's corruption or nothing stolen. There's no fears. It's a place of utter beauty. It's a place that will last forever. It talks about it being a continual place of joy and satisfaction and peace and presence. And you begin to think about that. The beauty is you don't have to wait to get there. You can even have it here on earth in a personal relationship with him. People spend their whole life running from God when all he's going to do when he catches you is give you everything you wanted anyways. Joy, peace. So it really comes down to this. You get to choose. Your choice. Can't blame God. Can't blame your parents. Can't blame your spouse, your kids, 
your mother or your brother from another mother. <laughs> it's you. The choice is yours. God gave every single person the freedom to choose. The choice is yours. And I think about it because God, God never desired that anyone would perish. I mean, if you think about this, the very reason why you were even created in the first place was to be in relationship with him. That's why he created humanity. Genesis 1 talks about the, the, the fourfold purpose of man. Number one is to be in relationship with God. He wanted to have a relationship with you. From the very beginning, again, just, just check this out. It wasn't God who ran from man. It was man who turned from God. In the garden, it wasn't like God saying, well, I don't like you. I think I messed it up. Go figure it out. It was man, Adam and Eve, that begin to do things contrary to God that broke a covenant that separated him. And what, what happened even there? It wasn't like God said, you're done. He, he then began to pursue man. What makes Christianity different than any other religion is it's not man running after God, but it's God running after man. He's hunting you down because he loves you. He doesn't want you to go there. At whatever cost it might be, he's trying to help you understand. I love you. I died for you. I gave my best. I gave my all while you were still a sinner. I died for you. I sent my son. I didn't send the fall guy. Lee Majors didn't show up. It was Jesus. It was God himself. For those of you that would be 50 years or older. That's me. The rest of you guys, mom, tell me, who's Lee Majors, right? So I think about that and I look and I recognize that not only did we fall away, turn away, reject him, but then he would come, he would leave that to come here in the form of a man to die for you so that you could ultimately have another chance, a choice of where you would go. So here are a couple things, and I'm almost done here. Let me just say a couple things. Don't choose hell. Listen, 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 listen. Some of you walked in here tonight, And this may be, thing, maybe not necessarily what you're choosing, but let me, let me help you how to understand that people choose hell. First of all, you got to realize that it simply isn't necessarily saying, I am choosing that door. You say it this way. I just choose to ignore God. See, the, the, the denial or the resistance to the idea that God wants to be in your personal life is basically what you're saying is that I am choosing hell because I'm not choosing God. This, this is what Lee Strobel said. He said this. This is an author guy. He says, if we choose hell over heaven, we must be insane. He says, because that is precisely what sin is insanity, where we, listen, where we deliberately and willingly 
refuse life, joy, and truth in Jesus. He says, it's insane. When you know the options, it's insane where you just go, okay, I'm just going to do my life. I'm just going to party, you know, with all my friends, you know, whatever it might be. When we choose that, we say we don't choose that. So here's what I want to encourage you to do tonight. Choose heaven. Choose Jesus. Choose heaven over hell. Choose life over death. Choose forgiveness over shame and guilt. Choose joy over depression. We could go down the list, forgiveness and shame, light for darkness. I mean, listen, you, you, you were all created with, with a thing called a heart. And every single one of us, the, the, the reason why we, we long for certain things is because there are these holes in our heart that we're trying to fill. So it, God wants you to find love, and that love is only found in him, but sometimes we want to go out and find it in a bed with someone of an opposite sex. And we wonder why there's shame and guilt and regret and pray, you know, outside of marriage, simply because you were wooken panub in all the wrong places. You were, you were putting a, a square peg in a round hole. The reason why you can't find love within yourself, peace within yourself, joy within yourself, contentment within yourself, security within yourself, purpose within yourself is because God created you to pursue something outside of you, and that's him to fill those holes. But we look everywhere else to fill those holes. Choose heaven. Choose heaven. I'm going to go ahead and ask, if I can, maybe someone to jump up on the keyboard. And I, I want to read this last scripture. Like, just, just dial in with me just for a second. This is a scripture that I believe is a scripture speaking to some people tonight. And this is the very voice of God to you. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30... 19, it says this, I place before you life and death. This is God, right, right here, right now. For, this scripture is alive in this room right here, right now for you. God is saying, I place before you right now life or death. Blessing and curse. Listen to what he says here. If, if this is not an invitation to you tonight, choose life so that you'll live. Choose life so that you'll live. Love God, your God, listening obediently to him, Firmly embracing him. Oh, yes, it's life itself. I am so thankful. In August of 1982, 
that I chose life. When I look at the path that I was on, I look at the drugs that I was doing, the stupid crime that I was involved in, dropping out of school. I was on a, at that time, the song was pretty popular. I was on a highway to hell. And I remember all of my complications and problems and challenges and confusion and shame and guilt and doubt and depression and addictions. One moment, one decision, Jesus, now I choose life. Everything's been the same. It has been completely different ever since. I've never been the same. Where's, where's the guy? I just feel quick into something. Where's, where's the guy from Huntington Beach? Hey, buddy, stand up for a second. I hate to do this, but man, I, I just feel quickened as I'm talking. Listen to me. Listen to me. God brought you here tonight. And you came here with this one thought in your heart, and you and I know nothing about each other. You came desperate. I think about your life as I think about what God's speaking to me about you. I think of the desperation, the shame, the guilt, the mistakes for years. Listen to me, man. He's here right now, like in my life, to say, you can never be the same. One choice, one moment, God can come into your world set you free. I believe that tonight, and again, I hate to put you on the spot, but this is your moment. God chose to put you in my life. Every addiction, every regret, he's wiping your board clean tonight. You'll never be the same. Father, I thank you for this man, and I pray right now. It's all right, just, just right there. That's the Holy Spirit. Father, you come upon this man. Father, you said you make all things new. Lord, I pray over this man tonight. Father, I'm asking you by the power of your Holy Spirit to come and break every lie, the shame, the guilt, the hopelessness, the depression, Father, the different addictions, God, whatever they might be, God, I just see you breaking chains, Father. Lord, you said that those that know the truth, the truth sets them free. Lord, I pray over this man that he would truly be free indeed in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for letting me do that, man. Jesus, let, let, me, let me just ask you a question here. If you'd bow your head and close your eyes, you, you can go ahead and sit down, buddy, or come, you can come stand up here with me if you want, man. You're my new friend. Come on. Man. Listen. Let, 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 let me say this. Just, just bow your head and close your eyes. I know there are people that walked into this place tonight that didn't know the answer to the question 
What will really happen to me when I die? And tonight you saw that it's no longer a question, but that it's an all-in choice. And tonight I want to give you the opportunity, like my buddy here, to be able to just say this, I choose Jesus. And if you're here tonight and you're not sure that you are going to heaven, if, if you were to die tonight, you wouldn't be sure because you know that maybe you've never asked Christ into your heart. Maybe tonight's the first time that you realize regardless of how good you are, you still fall short because it only takes one sin to make you a sinner and that every sinner falls short of the glory of God. Maybe you're here tonight, maybe you've fallen away or maybe, maybe you've, you've lived a life and you're just realizing that maybe tonight you've got to make a switch. And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you on the count of three, if you're here, you know who I'm talking to. You feel it in your heart right now. Jesus is speaking to you. He wants to love you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to take away your shame and your guilt. He wants to take away your regret. He wants to take away everything. And all that he's going to do is give you new life. He's going to give you a new nature. He's going to give you a new start. He'll give you a new family. He'll erase all of that. But he's simply saying, you have a free will and need to make the choice to say, I choose